welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you. I'm Father Morgan Reed, the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And we have had a wonderful week. We um, began with Palm Sunday last Sunday as we proclaimed uh, our hosannas. And then very quickly moved to Monday Thursday where we talked about the Last Supper together. Then we celebrated Good Friday, um, both of those services with Christ the King, uh, our um, sister church out in Alexandria. And we talked about the crucifixion. And then yesterday, uh, last night, we gathered together to begin with a bonfire and start in the tomb with Jesus and watch as the light of the world was the resurrection of the light of the world was proclaimed. And we did that together. Um, And so today uh, we celebrate the joy of the resurrection this morning on Easter morning. We've had a full week. Um, And I'm just so grateful for the time that we've been able to share together in worship, the way that it's formed this community. And um, I'm excited for the ways that this uh, sets apart the year. So let me pray for us as we begin today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, one of the things that I do every single Monday, almost without fail, unless the weather's bad, is I like to take our son for an outdoor hike or a walk somewhere. And um, as I've discovered after living here for over a year now, Springfield, Burke, and Lorton have some of the most amazing outdoor spaces uh, in Northern Virginia, in my opinion. And um, since he was probably 15 months old, Uh, One of the things that he loves to do is find a place where we can walk down near a creek and find rocks to just lob into the creek. Those rocks have gotten progressively bigger, and I'm always impressed at the size of the rock that this kid can now lift up and toss into the creek. And it's something that I look forward to each week. I will likely be doing that tomorrow, too. Um, When you go down by a creek, there are often a number of animal tracks by the water. And I love pointing out what animals those might be and thinking with them and wondering about what had happened by the creek. Um, They don't just identify animals, right? Tracks also tell stories. And one time we were hiking after there was a fresh blanket of snow by our creek. And uh, I saw on this log that had fallen over and was bridging the creek, there were a bunch of fox tracks going both directions along this log. And so from those prints, it's not hard to deduce that this creek, this this log over the creek formed a bridge to either side of the creek that the foxes could use to to find food. And in fact, they were. I've opened my son's curtains in the morning and I've actually seen foxes going across. Someone leaves chicken out. It's really bizarre to me, but these foxes will, uh, you know, grab their chicken legs and head back on up onto the other side. If they don't, the vultures get it, which is also fun to watch. So the prints that are left in the dirt uh, or the, the, the sand or the snow 
they tell a story, and and that's how tracking works. Like people who are really professional at tracking will find a footprint here, a tuft of hair there, some bark that's out of place, bite marks on a tree. And after searching for clues, those who are really attuned to looking for those things um, can tell us a story about what all those little clues are telling us. Um, there's a narrative behind them. And when we look at the life of Christ, um, it is filled with divine clues, divine imprints of God's um, narrative about the reconciliation and the redemption of humanity. So today's story from the book of Acts shows us the ways that the elements of the life of Jesus point us to a greater narrative that God is telling us about the peace and about the forgiveness that's available to all um, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. What Jesus experienced in his birth, uh, in his baptism, his acts of mercy, his miracle working, and the things that he taught, what he suffered, are all indelible marks of the divine story that God is telling. Uh, A story about rescuing a people from bondage to sin and death and bringing them into a new life where Jesus is king over all things and where you and I are reconciled to God. It's the story of life, death, And the resurrection of Christ. And that story is a story of God's love. It's the love that God himself initiates. Which leads to a life of peace. A life of forgiveness. That's available to all people in Christ. And because of reconciliation with God. We can then continually work on reconciliation with one another. Breaking down those barriers that prevent people from hearing and seeing Christ in their differences. We grow together as a community in the love of God, and we do the hard work of repenting of sin together, receiving God's grace as a community together, and we'll experience this transformation that's countercultural, that's slow, and that's substantial and meaningful, which is why our vision is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. That slowness, that substantial work is not common. Today in our passage in the Acts of the Apostles, St. Peter is talking with a Gentile man who was an outsider who was looking in named Cornelius. Cornelius had been a God-fearer, somebody who revered the God of Israel and was probably looking for the Jewish Messiah. But Cornelius experienced the reality of what it's like to be on the outside just peering in and never fully having all of that available to him. There was nothing he could ever do to be fully a participant in this because he wasn't of the right lineage. And what in this passage we hear from St. Peter is that St. Peter actually kind of stops. He takes a breath and he's about to launch into an exposition of something new, something significant that has changed because of the work of Jesus. And I like the way that N.T. Wright actually translates this passage in verses 34 and 35. He says, it became, it's become clear to me, he said, that God really does show no favoritism. No, in every race, people who fear him and do what is right are acceptable to him. So Cornelius uh, and St. Peter may have known that this was true from the study of the scripture. And St. Peter may have known that this was true, having been a witness to the living Christ who was raised from the dead. He saw Jesus. Um, But now he realizes a new significance because he's seeing God's work in Cornelius and in his family, and he can't explain it. 
It's like something clicks for the first time for him. And the things that he knows to be true about God, all of a sudden, click into place and make sense. Cornelius needs to know something about Jesus. St. Peter starts with reminding Cornelius of what he probably already knew, that in the life of Jesus, God had been giving a message to his people Israel. It was a message of peace. It was a message that um, wasn't just about peace as the end of hostility and strife, but peace as putting the people of Israel into a place where they're receiving the positive benefits of freedom and being right in their relationship with God. And the issue was bigger than just Rome and, and geopolitical opposition. The people needed to be delivered from their sin and, and from death. Cornelius knew that Jesus had gone around all of Judea and was preaching. He probably knew that. And I can imagine that he knew some of the contents of what Jesus had actually preached. I'm sure some of the things Jesus said circulated widely. He may have heard how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power at Jesus' baptism. From Peter's speech, it seems like Cornelius had heard that Jesus was going around and he was doing good. I'm sure if there was a miracle worker doing good, that reputation is going to spread far and wide. Um, and he was doing good to others. He was healing people from Satan's power. And I'm sure that um, what we have in St. Peter's speech here is a summary of a much longer exposition that he was giving to, to Cornelius. And St. Luke, the writer of Acts, is, go ahead and is summarizing that for us, which is nice. The story is filled out by the apostle for Cornelius here. He says that in Jerusalem, the Jews killed him by hanging him on a cross. But that God raised him on the third day and caused him to be seen. St. Peter tells us that he actually ate and he drank with Jesus after he rose from the dead. He's not just an angel, an apparition. Jesus was still recognizable as Jesus. He was in the same flesh. Think about that. In the mystery of God, Jesus was still in the same flesh in which he died. But it was a glorified new type of, uh, of flesh, but it was the same flesh. The charge of carrying on the message of Jesus uh, proclaimed was given to the apostles, like St. Peter. All of these apostles were witnesses to the resurrected Lord. St. Peter was charged to preach that Jesus was the one who had been appointed by God to judge the world, the living and the dead. That's something that we proclaim week in and week out in the Nicene Creed. We proclaim it in our baptism, in the Apostles' Creed, which we proclaimed last night. They were also told to proclaim exactly what the prophets had proclaimed all along, that anyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. Anyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name. So there's three major things in this passage that he preaches. Peace, forgiveness, and it's available to all. Peace, forgiveness, available to all. And, and that's what we rejoice in on Easter morning. Jesus is risen from the grave by death. He conquered death. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we're healed. Which is what the prophet says in Isaiah 53. In him, there's peace and forgiveness that's available to all. And I wonder how many of us long to be in a place where we are set up well to grow. We know that it's it's like it's like um, we know what it's like to experience a lack of peace. So when we think about peace, 
We're, we're familiar with what it's like to experience a lack of it. I remember some years ago that Ashley, my wife, was in between jobs and I was working part-time at a coffee shop and we had school bills to pay and then all of a sudden our car broke down. And when we went to the mechanic, it was cheaper to buy a new car than to just put, dump a bunch of money into this. We were draining our savings day by day and when that car finally bit the dust, we took it on a one-way journey uh, down to Woodbridge and um, basically gave it up for 500 bucks, which we turned around and used for a down payment for another car um, that actually worked. And I felt like, man, I, I felt like so, so much of our lives uh, in our days is just kind of in that survival space. And our lives in, in those days was truly in that survival space. And I couldn't even begin to talk about things like when people say putting money into savings or thinking about retirement. Like That was the farthest thing from my mind. Um, and that's only financial and material stuff, right? But, and it's not unimportant because there is a survival in that. But there are seasons um, that will be more survival than others in, in those kinds of material spaces. Peace in that scenario came finally when we had a, a more reliable car and Ashley was in her new role at work. Those two things brought about some of the pieces and stability that we actually needed to be put into a place where um, we could create a scenario that we could start to flourish. Without Christ, beyond the material, without Christ, we are all in a place spiritually where we are just trying to survive this life. We're in bondage to sin. And so trusting in Jesus in his death and in his resurrection puts us into the fertile ground that allows for spiritual growth and flourishing to happen in the love of God. It starts with trusting Christ. Without Jesus, we're going to continue to move from one system to another, from one crisis to another. Things that um, can't bring us into a right relationship with the God who loves us and who initiated that love for us. We need God's forgiveness, and we can't appease Him on our own. Forgiveness. There are not enough lifetimes of reincarnation to purge me of all the ways that I have disobeyed God. And that's why the church doesn't believe in karma. And my life is not this balancing of accounts that can be righted or wronged of my own volition, no matter how long I get. Um, the debt that I've incurred because of my own sin bound me in ways that I can't escape. The Bible describes our relationship to sin as slavery. And that's what St. Paul talks about quite a bit. It's all throughout the Old Testament as well. It, it makes, into something, makes us into something that we were not created to be. That's the idea of slavery to sin. It makes us into something that we were not created to be. All the things that have kept us from walking with God are now nailed to the cross. And when we trust in Christ... And we're then made new by the power of Jesus' resurrection. Forgiveness was initiated from the love of God through his grace by means of the cross and of the resurrection when we put our trust in him. When we're baptized, we die with Christ and we're raised again. Again, that featured prominently last night at the vigil. We're given the Holy Spirit. And when we're given the Holy Spirit, we, are, uh, we turn from sin and we turn towards God and we walk with him and being made more like Christ. It's a lifelong process of turning from sin, turning to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through that, we come to know the love of God better each day 
as we learn to walk with him. We talked about peace and forgiveness. It's available to all. What we learn from Cornelius is that the work of Jesus Christ is available to all people through faith. You often hear uh, churches inviting people to things and saying, all are welcome. Um, And they may even have it added to their sign. And that is a wonderful thing to communicate. All are truly welcome. The good news of Jesus is available to all people. And yet this passage also says that part of the good news of Jesus is that Jesus is the judge of all. He's the judge of the living and the dead. It's what we confess every week together. It's what we confessed last night as we reaffirmed our baptismal vows. Because Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, it's good news to know that God desires, God desires, and he delights in reconciling us to himself. That's why it's important that the love of God is initiated by him. Um, He cannot not act in his love. And so he wants for us to be reconciled to him. He wants us to discover that new life is possible through the power of the resurrection, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And that life is available to all. And so we should pay attention to what barriers might be there between us and other people that have created, uh, that, have, that have been created. Those barriers that people have from desiring the life of God that's found in the church. We should take time to dwell on what those barriers are. It's a good thing to examine what the barriers are. It's a good thing to repent of and to pray for the different historic and current ethno-linguistic and cultural divides, perhaps even trauma, that keep different children of God from experiencing the oneness of the kingdom. The the oneness that Jesus prays for in John 17 in the garden. We should make ourselves aware of those points of theological discord that might keep Jesus' church from becoming one, just as Jesus and the Father are one. In our area, in Northern Virginia, Springfield, Franconia, etc., I think that favoritism can also be formed around issues like class that's created through power. It's common for the second question after what's your name to be, what do you do? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and of course, in the D.C. area, the answer is almost always I'm a contractor. Um, but, you know, the question is often, who are you? What do you do? And, and the point is that not that those are necessarily awful questions, but we need to be creative with, with the kinds of questions we're asking one another. Because some questions can have a potential to create class around power and put people in boxes, which we don't want to do in the kingdom of God. So we should be growing in the ability to ask questions of one another together that make the church a community of reconciliation. This is the locus of God's peace. This people right here. And moving to questions like, you know, what was something that brought you joy this week? Or what's something that you're looking forward to? Those are something that those are questions that change the disposition of the conversation. There's nothing objectively wrong with a question like, what do you do? Um, But I want to make sure that we're growing in our ability to be curious about one another. I'm curious in all the right ways about the good work that God is doing in one another here. Curiosity and interest are dispositions of love. Um, And they're dispositions of peace that take the forgiveness and reconciliation that we have from God seriously. And they give us the opportunity to extend those uh, uh, forgiveness and reconciliation to others. 
Cornelius was given equal access to God in Christ, which St. Peter realized as he started to connect the dots of Jesus' life, listening to the clues, uh, as he thought back on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus with the prophetic narratives that God had been telling in the scriptures about the salvation of the Gentiles from the beginning. The story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the story of God's love that initiates a life of peace and forgiveness that's available to all people in Jesus Christ. All are welcome. It doesn't matter how you came this morning, but you don't want to go out the same way that you came in. Put your trust in Jesus this morning, in the, in the work and in the person that he is. And if you want to talk more about your relationship with Jesus this morning, um, I would invite you to come to talk to myself or Father Ryan after the service. Um, you know, we would love to pray with you about whatever God's been placing on your heart. Let me pray for us. O God, who for our redemption gave your only begotten Son to die upon the cross, and by his glorious resurrection delivered us from the devil and the power of death, grant us grace to die daily, that we may live with him in the joy of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Mm-hmm.